At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. It is good to see you all. Thank you, Jack. Tell you what, this morning is one of those mornings we're pretty fired up about. You see the baptism tank behind me in the second service. We've been telling people like Easter's coming, so let's try to hold off baptisms until Easter so we can just have a whole bunch of baptisms all at once. We have four baptisms next service. So um, I'm pretty pumped about that. And so going to hear a lot of testimonies next service. See a lot of people get down the baptism waters. If you're fairly new with us and you don't understand, I just want to give a real quick touch point for baptism because this is so important. We believe that baptism comes after your faith in Jesus. That's what New Testament believers baptism is all about. It's very symbolic. You see, when someone goes under the water, they are publicly standing with Jesus in his death in his burial. They're identifying publicly in front of family, friends, a church family, they, everyone online. They're publicly standing with Jesus in his death and his burial. That's the declaration they're making in baptism. When they come up out of the water, they're publicly standing with Jesus in his resurrection, saying, I am free in Christ. I have this new life. My life no longer belongs to me, but it belongs to Jesus. There's accountability there with the whole church family or those who are watching. There's accountability as a brother or sister in Christ. And so if you have not done that, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've never taken that step, I want to encourage you to do so. I did it last, last week, and a couple people actually came up and handed in their cards I want to give you guys the same encouragement. If you've not followed the Lord and New Testament believers baptism, just take your bulletin. There's a tear-off card on there. All you need to do is write your name on it and just write the word baptism, write the word Easter, write whatever to say, hey, I want to be baptized at Easter. I want to take that step into the waters and publicly de declare my faith in Christ. So make sure you write that down. Just turn it in. Either to me, I'll be in the hallway at the end or at that connect desk right there outside of the set of doors. So I'm not sure if everyone has had this experience or not, but um, so I've been, I've been, I was gonna say I've been loved in life, but that sounded so horrible, like a little pound puppy, and that's not the way I meant it. Like I, I've been, I've been loved, like not like my mama loves me, but I've had tough love before. Any of y'all had tough love, like people who like, they love you, but in their own, no, we had like two, three. Okay, cool. So let me explain what I mean, like Coach Daly, would be the perfect example of like a tough love kind of a guy. Like Coach Staley was my high school football coach. And um, he wasn't like a, I don't know, kittens and rainbows kind of guy. That wasn't Coach Daly. Coach Daly was more of like, he's about this tall, right? And he's one of those guys without a neck. It was like head and shoulders. That's all he had. And um, he played college ball. And so he's missing some fingers from weightlifting because they would just like, he'd be lifting. It would like, he'd drop the weight and just like pinch the end of his finger off. So he had like a lot of like almost fingers. He had that. And um, he, he, he yelled a lot. Like he yelled a lot. So he wasn't like, Billy, I really love you. You're a nice chum. You know, it wasn't like that. But he did love me. And, and I learned that love my freshman year. My freshman year of high school ball, he came up to me. This was like one or two weeks into practice. And he goes, hey, Billy, I want you to stick around after school. Can you do that? I want you to go to that practice too. I'm like, yeah, coach, I can go to that practice. And 
I was a little bit, okay, I was a lot nervous. I was real, real nervous because I had the white helmet. They all had the gold helmets. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't have the same color helmet. I had the white helmet and I'm like, I'm knowing that I'm like way out of my league here. And so the very first player, one of the first plays anyway, he had me get down because I was a, an offensive lineman, right? So he had me get down, playing defensive line on the scout team. And there was a senior across from me and he looks at me with my white helmet and he starts laughing and he's looking at his friends laughing like, is this real life? And I think my knees were shaking. Like I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And so when the ball snapped and he hit me, like he hit me real hard, y'all. Like he hit me real, real hard. And coach blew the whistle and he is jumping up and he's mad. He's yelling. He's, he's encouraging me at that point to get up. Like he's like, you need to get up off the ground. I think he said before a dog goes pee on me, I think is what he said. Anyway, in fact, I'm certain that's what he said because one of his favorite phrases, he's a little more graphic in how he said it. Uh, but so I get up off the ground and he took his almost fingers and he wraps around my face mask. And I don't think you can do this anymore. I don't know if you can do this or not, but he did it. And he grabbed my face mask and he pulled me close. And he's like, you better fire off this time because we're going to do it again. And you better hit him or this is your last practice. You know, and he lets go of me and he goes, stands behind me. And so I've just been yelled at by coach, right? And, and so something starts to bubble inside of me. You know what I mean? Like there's like, I don't like being yelled at. I don't like that at all. So I don't know if I was scared of coach or if I was just mad from being humiliated because everybody's laughing at me now. You know, one of the two, but I was just laying on the ground. They're all laughing at me. So he yells this, do it again. I heard that a lot over for you. Do it again. You know, and he gets behind me. And so I get down and I'm telling y'all, like it, it was, everything was just churning inside of me. And so when he blew the whistle, he took his foot and he placed his foot on a particular, and it wasn't needed, like he didn't even need to do it, but he did. He took his foot and he placed his foot in a particular place from behind me and helped push to encourage. And I have never fired off the line so hard in my, I mean, I, I hit that guy, like I hit him real hard and he's jumping up and down again, coach is. And he is just, he's laughing, he's laughing so hard I thought he was gonna cry. And he grabs my face mask, he says, Every time, that's how I want you to do it over the next four years. Don't you ever give me less than that. And um, yeah, so those football pants, it's probably gross. Not, I'm oversharing now. I didn't wash those pants for the rest of the year, just so you know. I didn't wash them because every single practice I picked them up and I saw his footprint right, <laughs> right on the rear end of my pants. But it just reminded me, it did. And the thing is, is I, I knew... I knew that coach loved me, but there was definitely this tough love. And there was never, there was never this, no, sir. There was never, I'm not gonna, there was, there was never none of that because there was a healthy fear of coach, right? There was a, a respect that was there. And I, I say all that to say, I think that when it comes to our relationship with God, I think that we underemphasize the fear of God. I do, I think we underemphasize the fear of God. In fact, I think just me saying that the fear of God. For some of you, it causes some very uneasy feelings inside of you, that word fear. Because when you think of fear, you're thinking of an abusive, unholy kind of a fear. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs, right? The fear of the Lord. We're talking about a holy fear, not even like the football coaching. That was the best illustration I could give, and it wasn't a very good one. But it's just to talk about this healthy fear, this all fear, this respect of a holy and an awesome God. So how do you know? 
if you have a healthy fear of God? That's really the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. How do you know right here, right now, how do you know if you have a healthy fear of God? That brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Let's take our Bibles and open to Jonah chapter 1. We started this series last week, Jonah chapter 1. And as we started this series, I told you that Jonah is part of the 12, right? The tw- they call it the 12, the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. There's five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Minor because the length of the text is shorter, Right now, what I did not mention is almost exclusive. Hosea would be an outlier as well. But almost exclusively, the prophets, what you're reading when you read the prophets is you're reading the word of God delivered from the prophet to a particular people. So you're reading their words about God from God to a people. That's what you're reading. But Jonah is so different. What you're reading with Jonah is you're really reading about the defiance, the struggle, the rebellion between one of God's prophets and the Lord. So you're reading the story of the Lord and about this man's rebellion and this struggle, right? And so as we were talking, I told you how the Lord told him to arise. The Lord told him to go to the Assyrian capital city, one of the capital cities uh, called Nineveh. So you're supposed to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, we got a map for you. Nineveh would be, and they wouldn't have gone straight across land. The way it would have gone, he would have got on a boat at Joppa, and he actually would have gone north first, just straight up on the map, just dot, 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 dot. And then at that island, he would have hung a right, you know, just doot, 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 right over there. And then he would have got off the boat onto the land, 550 to 600 miles. That's about how long that trip would be. That's about three months journey to go to Nineveh. The problem was Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. See, Nineveh was known for its brutality, for its, for its uh, torturous kind of environment that they had. So Jonah was like, I don't know if I'd be killed or not. I certainly know what they have done to the Hebrew people, and I want nothing to do with them. So he goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat. He gets on a boat going to Tarshish. He's like, I just happen to have enough money to go to Tarshish. They happen to have a, a free seat with that money to go to Tarshish. So I'm going to Tarshish, 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 if you remember last week, right? He's like, I'm going to go 2,500 miles or a year's journey the other direction. We see this incredible rebellion from this person who's supposed to be God's prophet, God's man, and he gets on a boat going the complete opposite direction. He had the opposite, I would say, of a fear of the Lord. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do no matter what. So that's where we're going to jump in today. Again, reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. How do you know? This is the question. How do you know if you're a person who fears God? How do you know if you're a person who fears the Lord? We're going to look at three characteristics today through the text. The first thing that we're going to see is one of the characteristics would be people who seek God with their questions. People who seek God with their questions. Let's start reading starting in verse number four. Jonah chapter one, verse four, he's on that boat headed the opposite direction. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came up to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, look what he says, arise, call out to your God. 
Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse number seven. And they, the mariners, said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? So we see here. We see Jonah as being rebellious against the Lord. He's not following the Lord. He's doing the opposite. So the storm comes, but Jonah's not stopping. In fact, what he does is he goes down into the belly of the ship. Do you see that? And he takes him a nap. Sometimes I think we automatically think that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're doing something that you shouldn't do, that the Holy Spirit's just going to come on you and there's no way that you're going to continue that sin. And you're go- but did you see Jonah's example? Jonah showing, no, you can become callous to the Lord. You can try to block everything out. He's sleeping like a baby down the bottom of this ship, even though it's putting the lives of others on the line. In fact, that's one thing I, I want you to recognize today is that your rebellion never hurts just you. You're going to hear that a few times today. Your rebellion, it never hurts just you. And yet when you're in that place of selfishness, when you're in that place of selfishness, isn't that always what you think? You always think like, this is only bothering me. It's only hurting me. It doesn't bother. No, your rebellion never hurts just you. So Jonah is in the inner part of this ship. Do you see that? He's down in, which is a lot like what's happening to him spiritually. He has gone down into the bottom of the ship, almost like he's still trying to get as far away from the Lord as he can. He's still trying to hide and he's sleeping. And that's when this storm breaks out. This storm is so bad, it's threatening to break the ship apart. And so you see the sailors and what do they do? They start crying out to their gods, it says, with an S, not singular, but plural. So they're polytheistic. They believe in many gods. And it's almost like the further and further Jonah gets with his rebellion, the further he gets away from the Lord. And what we see with the sailors is as the storm comes, what do they do? They get closer and closer to the Lord. So they start by asking the questions, God, what have we done? How do we get out of this? Lord, save us. They start to throw cargo overboard. And that's where you see this really, really cool scene. The captain of the ship. The captain of the ship goes down into the inner depths of the ship. And he grabs Jonah. And he's like, what are you doing? And and then you see that phrase. Do you see the phrase, arise? Go back and look at the very beginning of Jonah. That just happens to be the same thing that the Lord told him at the very beginning. Jonah, arise to go to Nineveh. And now we see that exact same word being used from this guy who's a pagan sailor. So we see the sailors praying. We see the sailors using the words of God. And what do we see Jonah doing? Jonah is still sleeping. And so he gets up. He goes up to the, to the upper deck. And that's where you see them casting lots. When they cast lots, this would have been an ancient practice. You see it as well in the New Testament where they're seeking the will of God. And so as they cast lots, they, they cast the lots out there. And Jonah, I don't know if he wins or loses. I don't know how exactly that works. But they all start looking at Jonah. And they're like, Jonah, we want to know. I mean, they just bombard him with questions, right? What's your, what's your job? What's your occupation? What people are you from? What have you done against God? Why is this happening? I mean, they're just pelting him with questions. And it should move us to this place of saying, how am I doing with reverent fear. The sailors had it, Jonah didn't. How are you doing with reverent fear? When you're facing the things that you face in life, do you try to hide from God or do you run to God? 
Are you aware that the Lord is there and working in your midst? Or do you just kind of try to plug your ears to the fact that the Lord is there and figure, I'll, I'll just figure this out on my own, or I'm going to act like that thing's not there in the first place? I like how this one pastor, Paul David Tripp, said it. He wrote a couple questions in a book that he wrote. He said, we should ask the question, what in the world is God doing right here and right now? And once I answer that question, what in the world is God doing right here, right now, how in the world should I respond to it? So what's going on right here, right now? Because we can get distracted, right? Lord, look what's going on in the Ukraine. Look at everything. going. And the thing is, we'll get to the Ukraine. We want a global perspective. But I would encourage you today to start with right here, right now. God, what are you doing in my life right here and right now? And then once I identify that, what should be my response to that? How am I supposed to respond to a holy and awesome God? You see, once you answer that question, it's a whole lot easier to say, okay, Lord, throughout Michigan, what are you doing? And how am I supposed to respond to the state of Michigan? Lord, with the United States, what are you doing? What are you up to with our nation? And based on what you're doing with our nation, Lord, how am I supposed to respond to it? And then you get to go, this is just a picture of Acts 1-8, right? Then when I look globally, Lord, what are you doing globally? And then what should be my response to that? So what are the characteristics of someone who fears God? Next, we're going to see is people who call out to God in their struggle. People who call out to God in their struggle. Look at verse 9 with me. And Jonah said to them, he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know this become, that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Did you notice that it's verse 9 before Jonah ever talks? Here we have a prophet of the Lord. His whole life is speaking about God, right? That is his whole life. His whole life is speaking, and yet it's verse 9 before we see anything out of him. Because they've asked him all these questions. We want to know who you are. We want to know where you're from. We want to know what your job is. We want to know what you've done against God. And here's how he starts out. He starts out by saying, I'm a Hebrew. He just ignores everything about his job as a prophet, doesn't he? He's like, we're not going to talk about that right now. You don't need that detail. So I'm a Hebrew. That's what you need to know. I'm a person who fears God, which is interesting that he gives that detail because he's on the run from God. He's being rebellious and disobedient against God. And that's what he says. He says, I'm here and I'm this person who fears God. You know, the Lord, the one who made the sea and the dry land. Probably pointing to Psalm 95 right here is what he's doing. Right? He's pulling out scripture even when he's in the middle of being rebellious and running against the call of God. So what you see is you see the sailors are there. And they're recognizing that there is something 
about this man. He's done something to defy God. And we stand in the midst of the Lord. And again, they went from being a polytheistic group to starting to focus on the one true God very, very quickly. As they're focused on the one true God, they're wanting to know, what have you done? Because you're putting our lives on the line, Jonah. Again, your rebellion never impacts just you. It never affects just you. It's impacting these sailors here. So they don't know what to do. And they turn to Jonah and they're like, Jonah, we need, we need a solution. And his solution is pretty incredible, isn't it? Here's what you need. I, I know how to save you. I know how to rescue you. Just take me and throw me overboard. Just, just chuck me overboard. So I look at Amy because... This morning as I was going through this, I was like, is it chunk them overboard or chuck them overboard? And then I was like, no, I'll just say toss overboard. I'll throw overboard. Anyway, I think it's chuck. She looked it up for me. I think it's chuck them overboard, not chunk them. That's the guy off Goonies, I think. Anyway, that doesn't matter. That was his solution. His solution was just throw me over the side of the ship into the sea. Do you, do you know what he just said? This guy who knows that the Lord said, I want you to rise and I want you to go to Nineveh. And when you go to Nineveh, I want you to preach a message of repentance because these are a people who are far from me. I want you to tell them to turn from their wicked ways and to turn to me. Jonah, of all the people, of all the people on this planet, you're the one I'm calling for that task. How humbling is that? How humbling would that be if the Lord looked at you and said, I've got a task for you. No one else can do this job. I don't really need you, but I'm going to let you be part of my story. I'm going to let you share in what I'm doing. So I want you to do this task. That's what we've done with Jonah. And even when Jonah has a chance to look at these sailors and say, okay, I actually know what we should do right now. What we should do is just turn this boat around and head that way, y'all. That's what we need to do. We just, we just need to head over to Nineveh. You don't have to get anywhere near. If you just get to land, I'll have to walk the rest of the way. But like, if you'll get that far, that's all you need to do. And this storm will like chill out. That's all we need to do is quit, quit trying to defy and be rebellious against God. You know what he said? He said, I'd rather die. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather die than follow. You ever been there? I don't know if I can do what the Lord is calling me to do. I think I'd rather either just sit here or I'd rather die, one of the two. I don't, I don't know if I can do what the Lord's really calling me to do. You see, what I think is sometimes it's very easy to understand what God wants us to do, but it's very, very hard to actually live it out because he gets right in the midst of the place that you don't want to surrender. That's where he is with Jonah. He's right in the middle of that. Jonah continues to handle things way different than the sailors because the sailors are saying, what's it going to take? We'll do it no matter what it is. These guys who are supposed to be far away, these pagan sailors, very quickly, they're in that place of saying, just tell us what we need to do. We clearly see that there is a power so much bigger than just what normally happens in nature. There is something going on, and we'll do whatever it takes for this to stop. Jonah is going to come up with his own solution and just says, throw me overboard. How have you been responding to the struggles that you face? Because I think the thing is, is we're all in one of a couple places, right? You're either in the midst of facing a challenge or, or needing discernment and wisdom, or you just come out of a time of challenge, or you're in a mountaintop experience right now, like things are real, real good right now. But I think the same question could be asked, couldn't it? Even if things are going great for you right now, it's still this place, Lord, what are you up to and what should I do because of it? even when you're in that place of success. For many of you, you're probably just cruising right now. 
You're like, I mean, it's not like I got a big fat bonus this week and it's not like I got terminated. You know, I'm just kind of in the middle. I'm just, I'm just doing life right now, one foot in front of the other. Okay, in that place, it's still a matter of saying, Lord, what's your design? How do I bring my life into alignment with yours? How are you doing with that? How are you doing of even being willing to ask God that question? Sometimes we don't want to ask God that question, do we? We like just put one foot in front of the other and just kind of cruise control a little bit. And yet that's not what the Lord's calling us to. So the last reality for those who have this reverent fear, I don't want you to miss this. You see, when you're in that place of recognizing who God is and what he's doing, you only can go to a place of worship. And that's the last thing that we're going to see. People who respond to God with submissive worship. Look at verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so you see this scene with the sailors where they're going, I don't know if we should do this. And you know there's some conversation. And finally, they're like, Lord, forgive us for killing this man. You know, one, two, three. And they throw him overboard. And he goes over. And notice what they do. This is so, so good. Then the men feared the Lord. It does not say they're lowercase g gods. It does not say this. They have transferred their faith to the one true God. That's what's happened in these moments. And so these final verses show that as he was thrown overboard, immediately the storm stops. And so there's a couple of insights here, isn't there? The first insight would be Jonah's spiritual fall. Again, the Lord looked at the whole earth and said, Jonah, you're the guy. I have a task for you. So get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. And now all of a sudden we see in these moments he's sinking to the depths like a stone. He is just sinking right down in this ocean. Do you see that scene? Do you see the spiritual fall that Jonah is going through? The second thing that we see here is we are seeing Jonah sacrifice. Throw me over, he said, so that you can be saved. We see this kind of scene in other places in the Old Testament, don't we? Like Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 it talks about another place where lots would be cast and where an offering on behalf of others would be given. You see, this is talking about the Day of Atonement. And in Leviticus 16, with the Day of Atonement, what would happen is Aaron would bring in these two goats. And when Aaron would bring in these two goats, he would cast the lots. And with one, the, when the lot fell, with one, he would take and he would sacrifice that particular goat. He would sacrifice that goat. Here's what scripture says in verse 16. Because the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. That's verse 16. And then in verse 21, what we read is he would then go and he would pray over the other goat. He would lay hands and he would pray over the other goat. That that goat would be used and appointed for the wickedness of the Israelites. And it would be, take all the sins of the people and they would be forgiven for another year. They would take this goat, the scapegoat is what it was known as. They'd take the scapegoat with this appointed man who would take the goat out into the wilderness, who would set the goat free to go and carry, literally carry the sins of the people never to be seen again. Isn't that incredible? That's the Day of Atonement. Fast forward. Fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12. Because the one who had atoned for the sins of the people, not just for a year, but for eternity, was on the scene. 
the religious leaders looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want you to give us a sign. Some people are saying you're the Messiah. Others a prophet. Some just a, a wise man, a rabbi, a teacher. H- how do we know you're the Messiah? Give us a sign, Jesus. Here's what he says in Matthew 12, 39. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, Jonah's sacrifice was meant to save these sailors for a short time, but would point the way to a much greater sacrifice when Jesus came to take away the sins of the world for eternity. Jesus is pointing to this atonement, this good news, instead of just a scapegoat going and offering forgiveness for a year, it would be eternal. That you and I, we have sinned. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our defiance against God, well, we deserve, church, we deserve to be thrown into that sea. That sea of chaos, that sea of judgment, that sea where we sink to the depths like a stone. That's what we deserve. But God. But God is so loving so gracious and so good. He said, I'll pay. I'll pay the sin price that you and I deserve. That's why Jesus came and lived and died and lived again. And through faith in Christ, we gain freedom. Through faith in Christ, we gain eternal life. So how do you know if you fear the Lord? I think one of the greatest characteristics of one who fears the Lord is a person who approaches God with a heart of worship. It says, God, I recognize who you are and what you've done. I recognize what you're doing. I recognize what I believe and I trust that you will continue to do even when I don't see what's up ahead. Lord, I trust you. That can be hard, can't it? It can be real hard. In fact, I would say right now there's probably people sitting beside you right now and they're going through trials that, that you can't imagine. Trials that you absolutely can't imagine. So when you go through those trials, do you continue to cling to the Lord? When you go through those trials, do you continue to cling to biblical community? I want to share a story with you. It's about my friend Debbie. Debbie and Chip Bidegary have been coming to the church for a season, and she's been going through one of those trials. She'd sit right back in this area. And in fact, when you see her on the video, you'll probably think, hey, I think I recognize her, maybe, but... Maybe you won't, but I believe her story is one that perfectly brings to life everything we've been talking about. Here's Debbie's story. I got my CT scan back um, recently, and the tumor has grown to a softball size. It's not only in the jaw, but it's in the ear canal, and now it's into my brain. Complicated, right? My name is Debbie Bidegary. I go to here, Romeo Woodside Church. I attend with my family, with my husband Chip, and my son Parker. I have had medical challenges. Um, I've been in the hospital probably more times than I I could even count. I've been diagnosed now for about eight years with a tumor. It's a pseudo-gout tumor in the jaw. I'm the youngest person that's been recorded for this type of tumor and it's in the it's in the health journals Uh, we have talked to many doctors gone to many hospitals many places 
that deal with special cases. And I've been told many times, many years, sorry, we can't help you. This is too complicated. Through a lot of tears and a lot of praying, just asking God for wisdom, just to guide us because we're lost here. In the past two years, he put a group of surgeons together that have talked to me and said, we can help you. We can do what needs to be done when the time comes. The time is now. I got the news um, a few months ago that this went from just a, a little tumor to a softball size that now has entered the brain. It's critical, we gotta do this, and we gotta do it now. But we serve a good God, we really do. And I know no matter what this outcome's going to be, I've got faith, I trust God. I'll tell you, God has given me peace. He's given me peace to endure this trial, and I can do it. This storm, this trial that's, that's just swirling around me, and people looking at me with their mouths opened up saying, what, I can't believe it. You don't look like anything's wrong with you. That's God, that's not me. Because our God is so good. He is there to give you that peace. And it's just so important to me that if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him in your heart, that you do so that you please take that time. Get to know him like I know him. He's my best friend. He is my savior. He's my strength. He's my peace. He's the love that I feel from the family around me. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? So let me finish the story for you because um... I actually tried to get Debbie on stage last weekend, and she wouldn't do it. She's like, there's no way I'm not getting on the stage. I think it's one thing, after everything goes better than expected, after everything is wonderful, to get on a screen and say, hey, have faith, because everything worked out great for me. I think it's different when you're walking into a surgery, and you're going, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm telling you to have faith. She didn't go into a lot of detail of exactly what was going on with the surgery and the way they were going to have to cut her. They, she didn't talk about that detail. She didn't talk about how to get to the tumor. They were going to have to go this way to go in and get the tumor out. She, she didn't share that detail. She didn't share on there that she had to stop multiple times in the recording of the video because of the pain levels that she's experiencing. She didn't share that. She just wanted you to hear the message. Have faith. Even in the midst of the chaotic storms, have faith. Don't back down from your faith. So on Friday morning, I want you to know she did go in for surgery. And uh, I was able to pray with them early that morning. And it was actually delayed. The start was delayed because they were waiting on some test results. And she finally started her 10-hour long surgery. And I kept checking in with Chip all along the way. At the four and a half hour mark, I got a message. And the message said, Billy, they're sewing her up now. They're finished. And it went way better than they possibly expected. Her jaw gets to stay in place. 
and the tumor was removed. And I am just praising God. That's the report. So this story is actually being shared with all Woodside campuses this morning. But what's the story? Yeah, yeah, incredible. I, I think if Debbie was healed up and I could actually get her on stage and I could say, hey, Debbie, what would be your message this morning? I think she would say, I've already said it. What, what are you facing? Lord, what in the world are you doing right here, right now? And for her, what's incredible is she, I've never once heard her say, Lord, why me? I've never heard her say that. Why me? Why am I having to deal with this huge tumor in my head that's now coming out of my ear canal? Why, why me? She, she never said anything like that. Hers is, Lord, if the pain level can be low enough where I can sit by my chair and just look out that window and worship you today. That'd be so good just to praise you. That's all I want. Are you in that place, that fear of the Lord, where you say, Lord, I'm going to worship you, whether I'm in, on that mountaintop or I'm, I'm, I'm in that valley, just kind of cruise control, or whether I feel like I'm sinking to the depths right now. I'm in a place of trial. I'm in a place of struggle, and I don't know where to turn. I don't know how this is going to fix. I literally don't know what next week's going to look like. I don't know how my life might be turned around by next week. Lord, in that place, I'm going to worship you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony of a sister in Christ who is so faithful to you in your ways. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, for those who are watching online, that maybe they are going through a, a trial. Maybe they don't know what next week looks like. Maybe there are those in here that have been experiencing a season of rebellion, Lord. They've been running from you. They've been not wanting to hear from you. They've been wanting to try to get down to the depths of the ship just so they can take a nap and shut the world out. Lord, I, I pray for surrender today. I pray for hearts of submission. I pray for a turning to you because you're our heavenly father and you are good and you are holy. And you are mighty and you are our salvation. Lord, it's interesting, the same scene that the sailors, they saw a savior. Jonah only saw, only saw the one he wanted to run from. Lord, we don't want to run from you today. So continue to show us what this truth means for our lives, how we respond to your holiness and your glory. Lord, we want to be individuals who are known for our faith, our faith in who you are. And I believe one way we do that is through worship. One way we do that is through being obedient to your word. One way we do that is continued repentance and from our rebellion and our sin. So Lord, be glorified in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.